Welcome to House of Data, a show exploring how data is influencing decisions at the most ambitious companies in housing. I'm your host, Alex Bridgman. Together, we will dive into how housing market participants are ingesting, organizing, and making decisions using data and the competitive advantages that follow. I am the Director of Data Strategy at Altos Research, owned by HW Media, and we supply some of the most dynamic companies in housing with unique intelligence across every housing market nationwide. You can learn more about Altus Research and this podcast by going to altusresearch.com or by sending me an email at alex at hwmedia.com. My guest today is Andrew Moore, VP of Software Engineering at Nations Lending. Andrew has been busy building a data science function at Nations Lending, heavily influenced by his software engineering experience. And we spend a lot of our time discussing how data and engineering cross over and intersect with each other. We also talk about constructing data science teams, challenges lenders have using data, retaining data domain expertise, and so much more. Please enjoy my episode with Andrew Moore. Andrew, thanks for joining the House of Data podcast. Super excited to get to chat with you today about all things data and software and everything in between. Um, We'd love to just kick off with kind of an overview of your background and career to this point and then a little bit about your role at, at Nations. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me. The interesting thing about my my background is I'm a, I'm a technologist at, at, at heart. So I've done a little bit of everything. My, my expertise is in software engineering and, and leading software teams, but I've done, I've done DevOps engineering, operations, infrastructure, even physical cabling. I did that for, for a year or so, and that was, that was entertaining to say the least. But as I've, as I've progressed in my career, I've focused more on leadership, more on, on strategic direction around technology. I say technology in general because it's not always software. Sometimes it is data. Sometimes it is even just process enhancement. And so where I've, where I've joined Nations Lending, I've, I've been with the company about two years. I'm VP of Software Engineering, but I'm responsible for data engineering software, as well as administration of our, our LOS and POS. And where where nations the role at nations is interesting is that it isn't necessarily just technology it is how do we bring technology to bear with our process with our you know the entire origination pipeline how do we how do we make loans better and how do we make them more efficiently and how do we make that borrower experience as as clean as we can make it because as you know, buying a house is not a not an easy task a lot of times. So everything we can do to reduce the abrasion and to, to make that borrower feel like they're being treated well, like they're being respected, like they're like they're in the know as they go through that that process. And that that's where I've been able to to step in and start bringing technology in, bringing data in and help educate and help influence. Yeah, what projects and ways to bring data and software into nations in the last two years since you joined like what what have you been most excited about to this point so a lot of what we've been doing with our data is you know like like any mortgage company we have the portfolio of call it business intelligence or or operational reporting how do i know where my loans are and, and who's got them but what we've been doing that's really interesting is taking our data and trying to capitalize on it to help influence what we do next. 
So understanding how do we close loans faster and what, what are the, the impacting features that make loans close quickly or slowly. And so, you know, one, one really interesting one that, that got me fired up pretty much day one was it, it's one of the worst kept secrets in mortgage that bad application data or, or inaccurate application data makes loans move slowly. But I hadn't seen any anything that actually proved that. So I went back and we, we looked at all of our application data and we, we started plotting out. We had to, we came up with, with a, an algorithm that defined what does loan data quality mean. And so it's, it's all a, a function of how much the, the data points change over the life of the loan, how complete the loan is when it's actually submitted, all of that, and it generates a score. And so we started plotting that score out against the application to fund turn time. And we saw a very, very clear correlation between that initial data quality and the funding times, you know, case closed. I think that was the really the first step we were able to take towards this AI movement or, or predictive analytics. We were able to see using our data past performance. We now know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the better we can get the loan data sooner, the more likely that loan is to fund and the faster it will fund. Yeah, it's also a great example of um, a topic I know you're passionate about, which is like how how data and software work together and complement each other and uh, collaborate with this being a, a phenomenal example where better data perhaps influences how software and LOS software and the process is, is done. What was kind of like the outcome of that? Like what, so you, you found out, okay, of course, better loan data, more complete data moves applications faster. Like what process or, changes were made as an outcome of that finding. Yeah, so that's that's one of those things that I think will always be a work in progress. That, that may be the one takeaway around data analysis is it's never done. So we're taking an agile approach, we're taking an incremental approach and doing small changes over time that make it easier to do the right thing. So from our perspective, when, when we noticed that data quality was, or when we proved that data quality was a, a high driver for those, those funding, funding numbers, we really dug into our LOS environment and our POS to understand, so what's the process that an originator needs to go through to actually get this loan submitted? Nobody wants to submit bad data, right? Nobody's, nobody's out there doing this on purpose. So we need to understand what leads us to these these ugly applications and how do we how do we improve that where we are now is we're in this this big this big process this big roadmap to really investigate each vertical or each persona and document and improve that process make sure that there's no duplicate fields or places where data is being populated manually that doesn't need to be can be automated or you know just trying to shore up the the entire workflow from from end to end so that when when we're done it'll be time to start over and do it again but when we're done we'll have a a 
good representation of what's absolutely required to manufacture alone rather than all the extra bells and whistles that came about through 20 years of business. Yeah, certainly. Where else do you see data and software working together at Nations right now? That's a that's an interesting one. It, it's, it's not unique to Nations. It's just about any place that I've worked that has both in-house data and software teams. They, they feed off of each other. So from a, from a software engineering perspective, we're building applications that generate data that are being, they're borrower facing or they're, they're internal user facing. And that's generating this data set, whatever the application's doing that then needs to be ingested into a data warehouse needs to be analyzed, needs to be presented in a way that that's consumable from a higher level and then vice versa that data team is generating data and aggregating from other sources that often needs to be consumed from the software side to whether it's making decisions or if it's doing some additional enrichment or additional modification of that data so it's it's cyclical and it goes both ways depending on on which direction you're looking at it and how do you see these two sides of the how do, you, how do you see them driving overall strategy like what's the what's the impact on corporate strategy from well-run data and software functions i've always said that for any company your most important asset is your data because ultimately that's what drives decision making or, or should drive decision making we should be looking at our data to answer questions about what works well and what doesn't work well. It doesn't always happen, but at the very least, that should be the first question. What's the data say? And if the answer is, I don't know because I can't get that information from my data, okay, well, there's the first step in your roadmap is figure out how you can get your data in a, in a place where it's it's actionable. On the software side, we're really looking to leverage the skill set that comes with software engineering to influence how we do business. So software engineers are really good naturally at looking at process and providing recommendations for additional efficiency or enhancement. And I, I think if, if you've ever had any extended conversation with a software engineer about a process, almost always that first question is, why is it like that? Why, why are you doing it that way? It's not always meant to be um, derogatory, but sometimes it is. But we're looking at taking that that skill set and applying it to the the loan manufacturing process. Like I said, we're going through the, the pipeline front to back and trying to optimize everything we can. So we're, we're leveraging not just the technology from a software engineering perspective, but the the mentality, the the soft skills that, that software engineers have. And from your experience working uh, in mortgage, how, how data savvy does it feel like the mortgage industry is? Like if you had a spectrum from not data savvy to very, very data forward and um, focused on data, where do you feel like mortgage lies? It's a good question. And it does land in the middle of where I think I provide value in my career. There's one way of looking at data savvy of technical capacity. 
how how well do I create platforms that allow me to consume and analyze data? And the other side of it is how well do I know the context around the data? How well do I know how this data came into being, how it's structured, what it means? And I think largely of, of all the lenders and, and mortgage professionals I've worked with, from the data context side, there's a high degree of, of savviness there. The the mortgage mortgage professionals know their their data backwards and forwards, and to the to the to the point where they can look at a a funding forecast over six months and get pretty close just by looking and, and gut feeling experience. From the technical side, I would say it's it's actually much lower, because when you mix a high degree of contextual savvy with technology, it's hard to show the value because the perspective is, well, I can do this right now with an Excel sheet. Why do I need Power BI? Or why do I need machine learning to tell me what I already told you in my Excel sheet, right? So in that regard, it it, it makes our job as technologists a lot harder because we do have to, they're, they're calling us out. We do have to show the value and put it in a way that that is actually valuable and has the ROI statements rather than other industries that have already adopted some of the more modern data practices and and it's become standard. We're not that we're not there yet in in mortgage at least not across the board. Can you dive into that a little bit more of the cuz that that's kind of interesting an interesting point that we discussed earlier of this domain expertise within mortgage being really important, um, but of course, complementing it with data and backing those that kind of gut feeling, backing it up with data. Can you talk about like how how do you do that? How do you start kind of backfilling this with data? Because like that domain experience is you know really really valuable and takes a long time to accrue. But of course, you want more people on your team to have access to that expertise, and perhaps data is a way to do that. But um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about like how do you bring that into the conversation more? Yeah, it's not easy. Um, the interesting thing about mortgage, and I think it's unique from from any other industry I've worked in, it, healthcare, it, the data sets in mortgage are so complex and it's hard to build the business acumen or the the experience around that contextual knowledge of the data. So when you do have data professionals, technologists that have developed that understanding, then you want to hang on to them because they're they're incredibly valuable. They they see both sides of the equation that we talked about earlier. They see the technology, what could be, what we can what we can do in 3 to 5 years, and they also see why it's important today and how how does this data get to be where it is and how why is it ugly? Why is this data dirty? You've got to recognize the importance of of those people. The way that I've had a lot of good experience building those people and bringing those people up to speed in mortgage is making sure that everyone is always allowed to ask questions, because it's a it it can be a bad place to be, and it's it's an easy habit to fall into when everyone speaks with such authority in the mortgage industry that you just say, oh, well, I should know that already. So I'm not going to ask that question because I don't want to, I don't want to look like I don't know anything. 
right? And I've been there. I've been there. When I first started in mortgage, I would go talk to capital markets professionals, especially because they talk a hundred miles an hour and it's, it's all very, very intellectual. I'm sitting there on my phone with Investopedia open down by my, down by my side, trying to figure out where are we, what's going on. All right, let's, let's get there. But being able to ask questions is, is the first key. And you've got to be able to provide answers in a way that, that is consumable to a technologist. I have, I have a couple people on my team now that are really good at asking questions and it's made me a better communicator because I don't immediately assume that you know what I'm talking about. And maybe there's some overlap or, or re uh, repeating myself when I, I'm over, I'm re explaining something that I've explained before they already understand, but it's made me take pause before I answer a question okay, let me back up, think all the way through this, identify the the vocabulary words that people probably don't know, and then explain contextually from as low of a foundation as I need to go. And that's that's done really well at fostering a team that is constantly learning and, and not making assumptions about what works and what doesn't. So then it goes back to the data. Let's go prove what works. I love that. I've I found repetition to be an extremely useful tool. And even in just a, a basic meeting about a certain project, like recapping like why we're here, things that happened before this meeting, why we're having this meeting, the goal of this meeting, and then even at the end, like recapping like, okay, here's like what happened, here's the meeting, here's the decision we made. Like that that recapping and repetition. Um, and being willing to ask questions and like being okay with like repeating yourself and knowing that that's a good thing um, is super useful. There's like a statistic out there. Like we only actually hear or like in like are ingest like 16% or 20% of whatever we hear. So like you have to kind of repeat yourself five times for the full message to be heard or something like that. Um, so I think it's a really useful tool. Yeah, I was actually... I think we may be talking about the same book, but I, I was reading a book recently that was talking about interview strategies. So rather than sending one person to interview a candidate three different times or th- sending four different people to interview individually, let's have a panel discussion and sit around a table and have one person that's designated as the primary communicator so that everybody else can listen because one statement will be interpreted four different ways and you want to make sure that you're getting as much much accuracy out of that conversation as you can. Yeah. Is that the manager's handbook, the Dave Dodson book now? Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, um, we're trying to send that to as many folks on our exec team as possible and, um, friends of mine as well. Uh, but yeah, super useful tool for interviewing, but also just running meetings and managing a team like that, asking questions and listening, um, is, is just super important. Um, wh- where do you feel like your skill there has improved the most in terms of, you talked about leadership being a larger part of your role now, like leading a data team, like how are you using kind of active listening and repetition, uh, more within your role now than maybe a couple of years ago? Yeah. So it's, it's interesting in, in my past, largely what the teams that I've been leading have been doing the the thing that they've always done. So I'm not asking software engineers to vastly change how they think about their role. 
you know, we're, we're building applications, we're writing code, we're improving process, but where we are in the, the technology world and data specifically is that things are changing very rapidly and that that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to be looking at the, the next, I don't even know that it's three years, the next six months and having to, to tell myself as a data professional that this looks vastly different than it did six months ago. My job is changing day to day to day with advent of, or really accessibility around AI with, with large language models and chat GPT. It's a lot of, we'll, we'll say concern. It's a, it's a lot of uh, discomfort that we're having to navigate. And so for me, from a leadership perspective, it is important that not only am I being a, a good listener, I'm, I'm paying attention to the needs of the team, but also it's important that I'm clearly communicating the expectations of where, where we're going. Because while there is discomfort in growth, we can't avoid the discomfort simply because it's uncomfortable. So I have to set a vision very clearly and say this is this is how we're going to get there. I know it's I know it's unnerving. I know there's going to be a lot of stuff we don't know and we will learn things the hard way sometimes. And that's okay. We're here to work together as a team and the reason we are a team is cuz we work well together and we have the skills to get to that next level. So we're just we're going to figure it out. Here's the vision, here's the roadmap. This is the strategy and then We'll solve the tactics as they come. Yeah, that, I like that a lot. The a huge part of kind of leading a team is having that consistent vision and kind of back to repeating yourself, like repeating that vision and having a um, that consistent and almost being predictable as a manager. Like if um, someone comes to you, like if like ideally after a, a little while of working with you, they kind of know what you're going to say or how you might react or tie it back tie back a certain project to your overall vision like that's really important especially when things are are changing all the time like if they're changing day to day and you have this you know where we have this vision this here's how all of our different projects tie into it this is what we're doing and you're very consistent with that that's really helpful yeah because again mortgage is is not necessarily unique in this way but it is very distinctly unpredictable so there's always going to be things that, that come down the pipeline, new legislation, new products, things that happen that we, we just didn't see coming. And if you're not organized in a way that allows you to, whether it's Eisenhower matrix or, or whatever, if you're not organized in a way that allows you to see what's important always, then the things that come up as urgent will be treated as important and you'll lose you'll lose sight of the vision and you'll you'll be behind again. So it I I, I realized recently there's a there there's a a statement in, in software engineering dry don't repeat yourself. And I realized that I've always treated communication that way. So like well I've already already made a LinkedIn post on that so I don't need to do it again. Or I already talked to this person about this so I don't need to do it again. Because if I do it again, that's not efficient. But when you're talking about human interaction and communication, it's way more important to constantly repeat the things that are important, almost like a mantra. 
this is what we're after. This is what we're after. This is what we're after. Yes, there's going to be noise, but if you're the the constant in the middle that's saying this is what's important, then it becomes a lot easier to to stay focused on what is important than the noise that comes out of nowhere. Yeah, I completely agree. And we talked earlier too about how important in building that vision that you're in an environment that has stability and can uh, can think in long-term visions like that and tie back to an, an overall strategy and having kind of you know multiple revenue streams and products that can you know fluctuate up and down gives you as a data team a lot of stability like um how have you seen uh like multiple product mortgage businesses succeed where maybe single product ones can run into challenges yeah so i've got experience working at a very large multi-channel lender in my past so we were doing correspondent wholesale and retail business and because we had those separate channels, you had a lot more stability when when the market changed. So you were you were less beholden to individual borrower behavior. So when you have years like like twenty twenty three, it wasn't quite so unnerving. But moving to a a retail retail lender, purely retail, so retail and consumer direct. That's it's a different approach and it's a different mindset that we have to have as business leaders so that when we do have downturns in the market, we can weather the storm. And is we were talking about um, build versus buy around data and software. And if you had asked me 10 years ago at the large multi-channel, we're going to build it almost every time because we have the flexibility and we have the stability to take on a multi-year initiative that will pay off at the end of that. But today, if you ask me at, at the retail lender at Nations, there, there's a much closer consideration that I'm going to take. So buying something off the shelf, whether it be a data platform or a software platform, an LOS, you can get maybe 80% of the value right then and there. Right, post implementation, I've got maybe eighty percent of the value to operate and run my business, and that's great because that's that's what it's for. But you don't get that last twenty percent that differentiates you as a business as a lender. So, how do you get there? And you you start having that conversation of, well, now we're we're in build territory. If I want that last twenty percent, if I really want to start getting after innovative machine learning models or, or innovative uses of AI today, I'm not getting that off the shelf and I'm going to have to start standing up a team to build it, which is overhead, which is risk, which is a lot more maturity that you need to develop than you would have had simply buying the thing and turning it on. It, it What I'm saying is from a, from a single channel lender, you have to be a lot more careful about what you're signing yourself up for over the next three years or five years and, and and understand really what you hope to gain at the end of that and how you deliver value very quickly and incrementally over that time period rather than saying, okay, well, we're going to cloister this group over here and they're going to go build something and I'll see you in three years and you'll have your value then. Yeah, I would imagine that that raises the hurdle rate too for if you can buy something and get to 80%, like 
and you want to build to get to that last 20%, I imagine that raises your hurdle rate considerably for what you would build versus if you had, you know, the three to five years to build something from scratch to get all the way there. Yeah, it's a, it, it's changed my perspective of how to implement technology pretty considerably over the last couple of years because I know there's value in nearly everything we can build. And I've said it before when when a product leader asked me, hey, can we do such and such? We're engineers. We can. We can do just about anything. The question is, should we? And how to, I'm going to channel Jeff Goldblum. But when when faced with these implementation challenges, if I can grab a vendor and off the shelf implement something that say does 50 to 80% of what I need to to move the needle in terms of efficiency or profitability or effectiveness, then I'm going to do that because that gives me some time, that gives me some breathing room, potentially gives me some some extra extra dollars on the budget sheet to implement the thing that gets that last 20%. So I can operate off the shelf for three years. And then when it comes time for renewal on that three-year term, ideally I've got something that I'm ready to implement that is the secret sauce. Yeah, that like having something today, it sounds like that even just helps you make the pitch later on and get buy-in from your team that, hey, this is working, this is helping, it's 80% of what we need, here's how we get the last 20%. Since you've already been working with something, you're already seeing some gains initially from the new process. Right. It, it's There are mortgage-specific data platforms that, that I won't name, but that they, they tout this same idea. Let's use AI to improve your, your manufacturing process, increase your fundings, or you know increase your originator effect- effectiveness, automated underwriting, all of that, that sound great. And in and, and a lot of ways, you can, you can actually get that lift. But the question you have to ask yourself is, are you getting the same lift that every other lender in your market is getting? So adoption becomes a question of, am I adopting simply because of table stakes? And then how does that how does that roadmap out to me being able to actually differentiate myself and take more market share and step ahead of the crowd? Yeah, certainly. And um, closing us out, um, what are you most excited for in the next year or so in regards to uh, your role with nations, data, perhaps something with AI? Like what's top of your mind for the next 12 months? So like most data professionals in the mortgage industry, I am looking for what happens when the market starts trending back to the good side? So in the next you know, 18 months, two years. And for us, we've made a lot of headway at building that foundational data platform that sets us apart from other lenders. And from here, it's the sky's the limit. So AI is a consideration. We want to not simply adopt chat GPT because it's, it's the new hotness. We want to make sure that we're applying, again, applying technology in ways that that provide efficiency, that that actually move the needle for us. And so it's going back to the data, understanding how do we truly capitalize and potentially monetize our data sets? How do we apply AI in a way that that impacts us all the way through that funnel? So 
better leads, better, better operational efficiency throughout the pipeline. Let's make it so that it's easier to underwrite loans. It's easier to process loans. All of that is impacted by how we organize, display, and expose data. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on the House of Data podcast. It's been great to chat with you, and I'm excited to keep listening to your own podcast as well. Um, it's been fun to listen to in the, in the early days. So thank you for sharing your time. Well, thank you too. Thank you for listening to House of Data. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review and introducing the show to a friend in data to help more folks discover the podcast. For more information about Altus Research and the podcast, check us out at altusresearch.com or send me an email at alex at hwmedia.com.